This week on the Dylan and Dylan Show, the guys have a conversation with indoor football league player and former Duke defensive lineman Trey Hornbuckle. We give an MLB update heading into the All-Star break, and Dylan Dylan do a little pro-am NBA draft topic. This week in sports covers the NBA Finals as well as UFC 64, 264 coming this weekend. Welcome back to another week, another special Thursday edition of the Dylan and Dylan Show presented by Tunnel Vision Sports. Dylan Jesperson here with me, my co-host, my co-worker, my colleague, all of the above, Dylan Holtz. Dylan, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. You know, the last few weeks we've come on here, I've been like, man, things just won't go right. Uh, whatever it is in the world of sports, it just it seems like it's going downhill. Uh, get bad Instagram posts reminding us about bad things. This morning, woke up, got a good one. LeBron made his decision to go to South Beach 11 years ago today. And at the time, yeah, maybe the world was burning because everybody was upset. In retrospect, that was some fun. And I, I, I had good times this morning thinking about it. And I'm very excited for today's episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We have a special guest we're going to introduce here in a few seconds, a few minutes, whatever. I'm very, very excited today. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, you always give me these this week in sports types of stuff or this, this day in sports looking back and it just makes me feel old every time to think that's 11 years ago today. 
that LeBron ended up leaving the Cavs the first time. Uh, but awesome stuff. Excited to get going today as well. Today we have a special guest on the podcast. Dylan and him go way back, so I'm going to throw it to him for the introduction of our special guest today. Thank you, Dylan. Um, this guy, I'm just going to read off some of his accolades because I think they speak for themselves. Uh, he was a four-year letterman at Murray High School in Murray, Kentucky, as well as at, at Duke in Durham, uh, North Carolina. A three-star prospect by ESPN and 24-7 Sports. Ranked the number 68 outside linebacker in the class of 2016. First team All-State to senior year of high school. Former captain at both Murray High and Duke. Academic All-ACC selection. Three-time recipient of the Sonny Falcone Duke Award. And a current defensive lineman for the Spokane Shark. Shock. I'm so sorry, not the Shark. Uh, with us joining a friend of mine, a former teammate, Trey Hornbuckle. How you doing, Trey? Man, I'm doing great today, man. I'm just happy to be on here and talking to you guys, man. I appreciate, appreciate you all. For sure. Uh, I I guess the first thing I want to jump into is can you tell us a little bit about the IFL and uh, the team you're on right now? Yeah, Um. so the IFL is the Indoor Football League. Um, it's a lot different than what I've been used to my whole life, you know, playing a 11 on 11, you know, there's eight guys out there, you know. We have three down linemen. Um, one linebacker and four defensive backs where, you know, there's a lot of one-on-one battles and stuff, you know, no stunts, not allowed to run twists and stuff. So, you know, it's just a lot of one-on-one pass rush. And, you know, I think it's, it's been kind of an adjustment for me because, you know, from playing outdoor ball, there's so much space that I'm allowed to use and whatnot. Whereas in here, you know, there's a, there's like a, I have a box that I have to stay inside of when I align. I can't get in no wide nines or loose fives or nothing like that. I'm almost head up when I'm pass rushing. So it makes pass rushing a little more difficult, but then again, it makes getting sacks more, that more satisfying, just know, because I have to work harder for them. You know, I mean, offenses do a lot of different things with these different type of motions that I've really never seen before. So, but, you know, and in this league, you know, it's a, there's a lot of running quarterbacks and a lot of running offenses as well. So, you know, it keeps us, has, keeps us honest when we're playing defensive line and what we read and whatnot. So, it's also a high-scoring league, so it's a really exciting league to play in, to be honest. You know, it's been a good experience for me so far, just getting to travel some places I've never been, or I've never been to Washington State, period, let alone on the West Coast. So, you know, that alone, being out here alone is just a blessing. It's just excitement. It's just, a, I saw it as an opportunity for me to grow as a person and to get outside my comfort zone. So, yeah. Um. Yeah, I, the IFL, it, it really is, uh, it kind of is the perfect place for you right now and the unique journey you've been on as you've yeah. gone from Murray High and little little Murray, Kentucky that, that we both love, and then going to Duke and then now in Spokane. Um, I guess uh, we're, we'll kind of start from high school. What was it like yeah. being recruited by a school like Duke and many others out of such a small area? What was that experience like? So, you know, it's funny, you know, because I remember me and you used to talk about this stuff all the time back when I was hurt uh, my sophomore year. And it's just like, it's crazy because like, you know, like the way Duke recruited me was a little unique because, you know, I was a recruit that was kept under the ra- radar from like the head man and all that. You know, I was being recruited by a GA randomly one day because, you know, I, at first, you know, my first offer was a Miami, Ohio. And that came out of nowhere, literally nowhere. You remember me and you thought it was the U. We thought it was you and Miami, and I was excited. So, you know, it was just crazy, you know, when all the offers came because, 
that's that was something I used to stress about. But then I kind of quit worrying about it. Just went out my junior year and played. And all of a sudden, they just so that alone was just like pretty big time because you know we had some big time guys in our region. You know, Elijah Sindelar, Zaya Hughes, Demetrius Kane, uh, people like that. So it's just like dang, like I finally get to be in the mix. So it was honestly like that alone was a blessing in itself because it's like, wow, like I actually have the chance to go play on TV like we talked about all those years. And so it's just like, wow. But then when Duke came, it's just like, whoa. At first I was kind of confused. I was like, dang, like where'd this coach find me? Like, you know, I was like, all right. And then so the first time I talked to the GA, um, we talked for like three hours on the phone. No lie, three hours. And so, you know, at the end of the conversation, I'm thinking, dang, I'm about to get a Duke offer. He's like, ah, he's like, man, unfortunately, man, I can't offer you as bad as I would like to. I can't. He's like, you're going to have to come to camp. So, you know, Coach Hodge and Coach Starr were able to help me get down there and go to camp. And, you know, I went down there. And, I mean, they put me through the ringer. I'm not going to lie. You know, it was 98 degrees in June, 100% humidity. And, I mean, we had to do a conditioning circuit outside on turf. And you know how that, you know how that would be on turf. So it was just like, dang, like. But I, I came, I made up in my mind that day though that I wasn't going to leave at the end when I went down there to Duke. And um, I mean, like the first rep of one-on-ones I did was against one of my future teammates, actually. You know, he was already committed to Duke. I had no idea. I, I got bombed like it was nothing. And then I just started going down the line on people and just winning, winning. Winning. I may have lost like out of 10 reps, I may have lost one that whole day for real. So then like after one-on-ones, you know, Coach Cutcliffe, he Coach Cut pulled me aside. He's like, man. He's like, what's your name? And I'm like, oh, I'm Trey Hornbuckle from Mary, Kentucky. He's like, oh, He's like, I'm not offering you no scholarship today. And I looked that man in the face. I was just like, I was like, you can't be serious. Because, you know, I could have went to any other power five school and did the exact same thing that day and would have got offered. But then, you know, it's just they, they do things a little differently at Duke when it comes to offering kids. You know, like we do extensive background checks, making sure, you know, kid ain't do nothing crazy because you know we at our school at Duke you know we take pride of who we bring into the locker room so you know it's crazy because you know Indiana was also starting to recruit me at this time so then you know I'm on the Greyhound bus like a week later two a week or two later I'm on the Greyhound bus just headed to my dad's because he lives in Indianapolis and we we're going to go to Bloomingdale for a camp it was basically it was like a mutual thing I had to show up to this camp and they said if I show up I'm most likely going to get the offer. It was just a mutual thing. So I showed up. I bought out at that camp too. And I ended up getting a scholarship later on. But it was just crazy because on my way to the Greyhound, my phone was blowing up from the same GA who was recruiting me. He's asking me all these serious questions like, have you ever had surgery? Have you ever did this? I mean, I'm just like, dang, like, all right. Like, no. But, and then like, he's like, call me ASAP. And then he's like, hey, look, like, you're probably going to be on the phone with the deep coordinator soon. And you might get on the phone with Coach Cut, like, you know, man, like, I don't know what's going to go on, but just be ready. And I was like, all right. Meanwhile, you got to think, I just, they, all these alerts and stuff just woke me up from a nap. So I'm halfway drowsy. It's just like, dang, like, all right. So then I get on the phone with the D coordinator. He's talking like, hey, you know, like, we really like what we saw from you. Like, you know, you, you really like, you know, if you get an offer today, you know, just know you earned it. You, you worked hard. And I mean, you did what you had to do to get it. And so I'm like, all right. So it looks like. I probably might get an offer. I don't know. They keep, they beating, they're beating around the bush a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you know, they put Coach Cut on the phone. They offered me. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. I was like, dang, like I have a, I have a power five 
football scholarship offer to go play at Duke University for free and to go play against the best of the best competition, which I did play against some of the best competition you could think of at my time at Duke. But I mean, man, that's, it was honestly, I'm not, it was just a great feeling knowing that I could be recruited from such a small town. Cause you know, they could, they could easily go to Florida, Georgia, Texas, Tennessee, and find a DN that they needed. You know, I just, I'm just, you know, it's just a blessing that they saw that talent in me and took it and really just gave me the opportunity to come show them what I could do at that school. So, man, I mean, it just felt great, to be honest. And, you know, two weeks later, you know, I ended up committing. So I was just like, you know, I don't think this is an opportunity I really want to pass up. You know, I saw, I saw the type of defense they ran, and I thought, you know, that fits my strengths. And I feel like I, feel like I could flourish, and I did flourish in the defense. So it was just like, yeah, I think this would be my best fit. And I don't, I do not regret going to Duke University. I met great people there, made great connections. I got a great education, graduated three and a half years. And I mean, man, it was just, it was a wonderful experience. I, like I said, I don't regret it. It was not a mistake. I loved everything about it. I, uh, I, I love that recruiting process story because I remember it happening. Obviously, the stuff at Duke, we weren't in the same place because we were at Duke. I was at Murray State. But um, I remember sitting in the locker room and football. You, would, you were a sophomore, like you said. I was a junior. And I remember when you told me, man, I'm, I'm going to get an offer from Miami. And we were like, the U? You're, the first offer is going to be the U? And I remember we were just going crazy. And then you're like, Miami, Ohio. And I was like, oh, okay, that, that makes a little more sense. And then after that happened, more and more uh, coaches started to visit, uh, visit the field house out there uh, at the high school. And just it just kept trickling. It, it ended with uh, Coach Cut and Duke. And honestly, like in my opinion, which I don't know if I've ever told you this, I think that was the perfect step for you in college, going from Murray High, a place that's so enriched with tradition and pride and focused on academics as well as uh, athletics. Duke's like the Murray High of college sports. And I, I, I like to think we hold that up uh, with our success in academics and athletics. Um, and I, I think this uh, segues nicely to a question I had. I was thinking last night, I was like, what, what do I really want to get out of this interview with Trey? I think it's this. This is what the nut I'm going for. Uh, so you shared campuses and locker rooms with some really, really successful uh, people. And like at Murray High, I mean, success is just, in everyone's blood that they're going to get it whether it's on the field or in the classroom same way at duke i mean at duke you were on campus with zion williamson and you shared a locker room with daniel jones i mean there's not many people that can say they shared a locker room with a starting quarterback in the nfl and a campus with zion williamson who's considered the next big thing not only in basketball but sports and then at murray high i mean we have countless great athletes countless uh, scholars that have gone on to do great things. I mean, just both in one, uh, one nice package is Dylan Holt. I mean, just being able to share campuses and locker rooms with guys like that. Uh, what, what's that like? And uh, being able to look, look back on that. Um, it's funny, you know, like you realize like, it's kind of crazy. Cause like seeing, you see all these guys on TV. It's like, Oh my gosh, that Zion is, until you see them, it's like, dang, like, that's really Zion. And, you know, like, a lot of these guys, like, you know, a lot of these dudes are really good dudes, you know. Like, me personally, I never really took the time to introduce myself to Zion because, believe it or not, at the time, I had a high-top fade like he did. So a lot of people think that I was Zion. 
because they say, you know, they try to give him this crazy height that he's big. He's not that tall. He might be like six, five and a half. At that. And so, you know, they like, you know, there was one time I was in Costco and the manager was following me around and I just kind of looked and I was like, y'all need something? And he's like, oh, they're like, are you Zion? I was like, no, I'm not Zion. I play defensive end on the football team, though. And I just thought it was kind of funny just because it's like, yeah, like, you know, people actually thought I was Zion. And then somebody ran up to me in the airport one day. They thought I was Zion. It's like, Zion, can I have your autograph? And I'm like, I'm not Zion. But, you know, he was definitely, you know, from what I heard, you know, I heard he was a really good dude in which it was easy to believe. I mean, the dude walked around with a smile on his face and whatnot. But now, you know, DJ, I know him as Daniel Jones. We call him DJ. You know, that's my, that's my guy from day one. But that was, honestly, I could go all, I could go on all day about that dude. Because one, he's a great dude. I mean, like a great dude. Like, I mean, he, he's one of the nicest people I ever met. You know, he helped us out with anything we ever need when we were, when I was a freshman, you know, just helping us trying to learn the ropes and stuff. But like when I got there in 2016, they would call him the future. They're like, oh, yeah, Daniel's the future. DJ, he's the future. Hey, that's future right there. Like, future. Until, you know, when the last day of camp, fall 2016, we had a quarterback who returned off of Achilles injury. And the last day of camp, he tore his Achilles again. So it was DJ's time to step up. And they was like, oh, yeah, it's time. Like, And then DJ goes out his rest for freshman year and smashes all these records. And it's like, dang. And then, like, you know, my sophomore year, he comes again, balls out. It's like, wow. Like, and then like his final year, his third year, it's like he took a, a another this took another step, like just elevated his game. But I was like, you know, I, I took one day I decided to stick around in the locker room just to get some extra lift in one night. And then I see this, I, I just happened to see uh, uh, the projector on in the team room. And he's DJ. And I mean. He had a notebook just filled with stuff, the defenses, their coverages, how he's going to read them. Like, DJ knew the defense, the, the, opposing, the opposing defense by that Tuesday practice. He knew how, what, he knew their base. He knew how they blitzed. He knew everything, what coverages, what, what indicates this coverage. Like, he knew everything that Tuesday going into the, the week starting practice. And I was like, yeah, that's why DJ is going to be, NFL quarterback. Did we realize he was going to be the, the sixth pick of the first round? Probably not. We we all believed he could be a first-round guy, though. Don't get me wrong, because it's just like, you know, we love DJ. And, like, the Giants will always come will always come work out at the facility because, you know, Eli would come sit with, and meet with Coach Cut, and Coach Cut would take him through things and show him certain footworks and stuff like that, you know, just help him tweak his game. So that that year that DJ got drafted first round to the Giants, it was something we knew was going to happen. We didn't know it was going to be that early, but we knew. Like the 2018 due locker room in that front office of 2018, we knew what was going to happen with that pick. And I honestly think DJ is going to end up – he's going to have an all-pro season here soon. I believe it. You're not going to be able to tell me differently. I'm going to stand on it. That's my guy. You know, I know the type of workhorse he is. You know, he was in our conditioning group you know, with the combo skill. And, I mean, he's outrunning all of us just because that's the type of competitor he is. Like, he doesn't like to lose. That's not – and so it's just like, man, like, it was incredible to be around a guy like that. And, I mean, we had other teammates, too, that went and played in the NFL. And it was just crazy to see, like, 
the type of work that you you had to put in to get that sort of success. And it's it's just crazy. Like man, I had a, I enjoyed it. Like I say, he's a great dude, great competitor. And you know, I I believe, like I said, I believe he's gonna have an all pro season here really soon. I think uh, I think the Giants were maybe the only ones that expected him to go that high. They were, they I think they were the only ones that really saw that coming. I mean, I, I mean, if you watch Duke at all, which I, I was lucky enough got to watch him because you were playing and played close attention. I mean, that first year you got there, they were talking about him, and they talked about how Coach Cutcliffe, he, he coached Peyton Manning at Tennessee, and then you lied Ole Miss, and like this this Daniel Jones kid, he's he's of that Manning mold. They they would always say that. Cutcliffe's got his Manning mold quarterback and he really turned into a Manning mold type dude and with the work ethic and stuff it sounds like it and with all those weapons they've got in New York he's definitely gonna have all the opportunities in the world to shine uh it's gonna be really really exciting to see I want to flip it on you now after we talked about Daniel Jones a great guy you played with you've played against great competitors as well through high school and then even at Duke um is there is there something about playing against a star guy? Like I, I remember in high school having to play against Elijah Sindelar at Caldwell, who is probably the best quarterback in the history of Kentucky high school football. Um, it, everybody wanted to up their game. It was like the Caldwell game. You have to show out it, whatever it was. You just got to go that extra level um, at Duke. Uh, were there games like that where there were guys that you're like, okay, we're going against this guy. I've got to step my game up, go to the next level and show out and try to get the win? Um, to be honest, every game, especially any co- in-conference game, was a game where it's like, yo, we got to come correct. You have to. Because, you know, the goal is to win the Coastal every season and then get to the ACC championship. But I think, man, there's so many games where it's just like, yo, like, you know, especially, you know, playing Virginia Tech, you know, that, that atmosphere is a great atmosphere. I mean, that, in my opinion, Virginia Tech has a better atmosphere than Clemson. And I played at Clemson. But Clemson game was another game where it's like, yo, like, we could really do something. And, of course, North Carolina, every North Carolina game is, you know, you got to bring it. Because all our North Carolina games are dogfights. Every single North Carolina game we had while I was at Duke was a dogfight. And then Pittsburgh, those were games that we knew were going to be gritty, tough games because they're, they're a smash mouth team. They're a tough team. Um, Miami, like I said, almost every game was like, a, all right, like we got, you know what I'm saying? Like you really got to bring, bring your hard hat because we know the other team was bringing there. So, I mean, you know, really just honestly, I hate to say this, just when, you know, the, when you play those smaller schools that you know that can't really hang with you, you know, those those would be like, and even themselves, like those guys get paid too at the end of the day. They're on scholarship as well, but you just know it's just different between them and seeing an ACC or SEC or Big Ten team. Well, not, not, you know, I don't even want to get started on those Big Ten guys because those guys are different. Big Ten ball. I kind of wanted to follow up on that too. Uh, is there like a moment or a specific game or a specific moment where you were at Duke and you were like, okay, I'm, I'm in D1, I'm in Power Five football now. This is like, uh, maybe a warm welcome or maybe a less than warm welcome. <laughs> it's funny because that's exactly it was freshman year, my freshman year against Pittsburgh. Um, there's a reason I ended up winning the strength and conditioning award three years in a row after that. So we're playing, uh, we're playing Pittsburgh's 2016. This was James Connor's final, final year at Pitt. 
um, you know, he just came off of cancer. And so he, he made a statement that he was running angry. He ran angry. And honestly, angry is kind of an understatement because that I say this every time. I was like, I did. I, I, I really did not want to tackle that because one, it was 22 degrees outside. It was raining. Two, that rain turned into a blizzard. And three, that's a 235 pound man coming downhill at an eye formation. So, you know, that was just a very rude, rude, unwarming welcome to college football. Like, this is what it's all about. Like, you got a dude that's wanting to run through your face every play. Not to mention his whole entire offensive line got drafted into the NFL, 2016 and 2017. Um, so, I mean, it was just crazy. Like, you know, my freshman year, I was like a rotational guy. So I got in. They had a their left tackle was 6'9", 330 with a six-pack. And his name was Adam Bisnawati. So my first play in, I blindside hit him and knock him down. So me being me, I decided to say something. Worst decision of my life. Worst decision that I ever made in my life. He he showed me what what's the weight room supposed to feel like. I mean, that man literally bullied me and did whatever he wanted to me, and I could not stop it. And after that game, I literally called my mom on the phone. I said, "This one, I will never, ever feel like this again in my life." So that's what that game literally opened my eyes to let me know. Okay, this is what I need to do to be a successful college football player and to be a successful defensive end or defensive lineman and one to potentially at the time be an NFL prospect. I have to be strong. And I mean, as strong as I possibly can be because, you know, those 300 pound dudes, they're not, they're not weak humans. I can tell you that right now. They're not. So that would definitely be my game. That really was a wake up call. And then when I played Lamar Jackson that same year, that that was definitely a, an experience. Um, I ended up getting put on the highlight tape, unfortunately. Um, you know, that he put me in a spin cycle. But, I mean, hey, I'm not the only one. He's gotten a lot of people in, in college and the NFL. So, hey, it's kind of like, hey, welcome to the club. <laughs> so, yeah, but, you know, that those two games were really like my, my college awakening. You know, it's funny you talk about the pit game and that being your inspiration to kind of like get in the weight room and work harder. Because I remember uh, – you came back to Murray uh, one off season. I can't remember which one it was. And you ran, we ran into each other and I, I didn't know you were there. You came up from behind me and gave me a bear hug. And I just remember, I was like, there is a giant human being behind me. I am terrified. And I turned around. I was like, Oh, it's Trey, the nicest person alive. And it, just the body transformation you went through from going, looking like a high school football player, a D one player, but then looking like a legit, defensive lineman that plays ACC football was crazy. And to kind of know the inspiration behind that, that's uh, really fun. Uh, I know Dylan wants to ask a question about uh, one specific game. I believe it was in 2019. Yeah. Uh, so I think you might be the only person I've ever talked to that's had to go up against a, a Saban led Alabama team. And I just, I have to know what that's like from a preparation standpoint in the game standpoint, you know, from all around what it's like to go up the, against one of those teams and Clemson for that matter, because they're in the same boat. Okay. So we'll start with Alabama. Um, going into that game, you know, I think really for us is you have to have that kind of FU mindset. Like, you know, because at the end of the day, they put one pants, one their pants on one leg at a time like we do. And, you know, and I think when you're going against an opponent like that, of that stature, you can't really, 
let the name scare you off or you get destroyed immediately. And so for us, we just told ourselves, listen, let's just go up there and, and let's, we're going in there to upset these guys. Really, we're going in there to hit them in the mouth and make them play ball. And that's honestly what we did. You know, we came out there out the gate just hitting them and they weren't ready for that. They did not expect that to happen. And then, you know, that then Jerry Judy, became, you know, he's Jerry Judy. So, you know, he ended up, you know, going for 130 yards receiving on us. But still, you know, it was just still a great experience to play against all those guys who are now thriving on the NFL level. You know, I played against a first round, two first round offensive linemen. No, I think their whole offensive, their whole offensive line were draft. Yeah, all of them were draft picks, but I know they're two tackles. Jed, Jedrick Wills and Alex uh, Leatherwood were both first rounders. And I played against both of those guys. So it was just a really fun experience to play against them. You know, like playing against Najee Harris, like that joker is strong. You know, you don't, you know, when you, if you're going to tackle him, you better bring your man up with you. That's all I'm going to say. And then, you know, transitioning to Clemson, I think it was the same approach. Like, hey, we're going in here to upset these guys. Like we can go in there and really do it because anything can be done on the football field. At any moment. And with them, you know, we came out, we had Travis Etienne to like, I want to say like 30 yards of rushing in the first half, maybe. But then, you know, all the receivers and Travis Etienne, you know, they took it up a notch. You know, they're a team that doesn't make that many mistakes. That's one thing I can say about Clemson. Like, they're a very sound football team on top of having the athletes to, to make those big explosive plays. And, of course, you had Trevor Lawrence who was NFL ready as a freshman in college. So it's just like, you know, it was, you know, but that, that was just, those are really fun experiences to play against those type of teams and to see like, dang, like, this is what they do. This is what makes them like great teams. So yeah, those were definitely fun experiences though. I, uh, I have vivid memory of sitting in an apartment in Murray, Kentucky, watching that Duke Alabama game. It was the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. And it was the first – I believe it was the first quarter. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But you recovered a fumble. And Kirk yeah. Herbstreit said, that's Trey Hornbuckle with the fumble recovery. And I, I watched it, uh, I think, last night. I was looking it up because I was like, I got I got to see uh, when this play was. And just to be able to hear Kirk Herbstreit say my former teammate's name, just saying your name on national television in a game like that. And it was still – I mean, it was, it was either zero to zero or three to nothing – Either way, it was still a very close game. No one really knew what the game was going to turn into. I mean, that was a huge moment. I just thought that was really, really cool. Um, and I'm going to transition to a, uh, another question. Um, you just mentioned a lot of really big names from Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Etienne, um, Jerry Judy, uh, Tua was on that team, Najee Harris, all the wide receivers, Henry Ruggs, and the list goes on. Um in the past two weeks or so, there's been a huge change in the college athletics landscape with the NIL rules, with players now being able to profit um, off their name, image, and likeness. Um, with you being a former college athlete uh, in the last two years getting out of it, um, what do you think of the news? And uh, the, are you, are you kind of jealous of these guys now that they get to make money off being a college athlete? And just kind of where's your mind at with that? Uh, I'm definitely jealous. Is you know a little extra change in my Uh oh, looks like we might have lost Trey there. 
hopefully we can get it back. Uh, this has been a really fun interview so far. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, Trey, Trey's brought the guys. There we go. Trey's back. Yeah, there we go. And, I know. Go ahead, Trey. But no, I'm just saying, like, it's definitely going to change the landscape of college ball, you know, especially recruiting. You know, there's teams already paying their players, like, crazy amount of money already. And kids will see that and probably get money hungry for a lot of kids in college football that don't come from much. So, you know, but I just think, you know, I told some of my guys who are still a dude, like, hey, do what you got to do. Use this to the best of your ability. But, man, at the end of the day, you still got to remember why you're really there. You're, you're there to hand your business in the classroom and hand your business on the field. All this other stuff is extra. But I definitely think it'll be good for these guys that have that opportunity to be able to market stuff and whatnot. I definitely think it'll be good. It's just the main thing is I just don't want guys losing focus from this. Yeah, I think, oh, sure. the, I think one of the most fascinating things Dylan and I have been watching is like how college athletes have been monetizing their brands since the rules have been uh, opening up. Have you had any ideas, like something that you would have done when you were back at Duke that like would have like, oh, if I would have had that opportunity, I would have definitely gone down this route? Honestly, I probably would have tried to market some places back in Murray for real. Just because, you know, that's my hometown. You know, I take a lot of pride coming from Murray. You know, I, I have a lot of pride. I would really, I probably would have did everything I could to get some places back at back in Murray to represent and market for them. Just put them on the map, honestly. I have no doubt. Know, a lot that, of, I have no doubt that the Taylors would have jumped at the opportunity to endorse Trey Hornbuckle. <laughs> oh, most definitely, most definitely. I, I can agree with that. So yeah, that's probably what I would have done. I would have done everything I could to really put our small town on the map with this. You know, a lot of guys, you know, a lot of guys are starting to, you know, believe it or not, college football is a lot of video game nerds. So there's a lot of guys doing yoke gaming, uh, Twitch, live stream on YouTube and stuff. So I just think this, I just think all this is going to be kind of interesting to see how it plays out with what they're able to do. Oh, for sure. Uh, it, it's going to be really interesting. And we, we've talked, me and Dylan have talked about it quite a bit the last two weeks, just about how it's kind of changing the landscape with the recruiting and everything. And we're even seeing guys in college basketball decide, well, we don't know for sure, but more guys are trying or coming back because maybe they don't have to go get that money right now. They can get a, they can get a check while they're in school, which that's a good thing. Um, I, I guess I'll hand it off to Dylan. If you have any more questions for Trey. Yeah, just to wrap it up, uh, obviously you're in the indoor football league with the Spokane Shock. I just, uh, you mid season right now, how's the season going? What's, uh, just give us like a quick recap of what's going on and what's look, what you guys are looking forward to. Uh, we're, you know, the season's actually going pretty well. Um, we're four, yeah, we're four and two right now. Um, we're third in the league. Uh, we're looking to do whatever we can to get to that number one spot and win a championship. Um, that's the main. That's the main focus, main goal. We're just taking it one week at a time. I actually got hurt in my first game. Uh, most complicated thing that could have happened to my finger happened. Uh, I tore a ligament in my finger. I had to get a quick surgery. So I only played two games. But you know, this, it's still been a very fun experience for me. You know, it's it's just fun to be playing professional football. You know, that's been my dream since I was a kid. Granted, things went down in 2020 how they did. A lot of free agents didn't get a shot. So. There's a lot of guys actually in this league from my draft class that are trying to do what they can to put film together to get to the NFL or the CFL one way or another. You know what I'm saying? So we're all just kind of hungry and just taking the opportunities while we can, especially while we're young. Because once you get past a certain age, really like past 24, you know, that's when it's like, ah, 
that's when scouts kind of really start getting turned off for real. So we're just trying to do what we can to reach our goals, honestly. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll be rooting for you here from the TV sports staff. Absolutely. It was a pleasure meeting you and talking to you, Trey. Thank you so much for coming on to talk with us today. Good luck to you and the Spokane Shack for the remainder of the season. Uh, we'll definitely be rooting for you here. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you guys having me. I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this little, this podcast, man. Thank you all so much. Thanks, Trey. Uh, we'll talk soon. See you soon, hopefully. Most all this man. is calming down in the world. Let me know when you're in Murray. Thanks, uh, man. You know, most definitely, man. Y'all have a great day. Absolutely. You too. Thank you again. All right. All right. Awesome stuff. Pleasure meeting Trey here. We will now move on to the MLB stuff that we've got planned up ahead. We've got the all-star game coming up next week, next Tuesday. And me and Dylan are excited to give some predictions on the divisional races, as well as handing out some mid-season awards. Uh, I think some of the the visions are sort of decided, uh, but others are a bit tight as we head towards the halfway point. So we'll start there. Uh, Dylan, how do you see the divisions in the MLB shaping up uh, as we move forward towards the end of the year? So um, I was looking at the division races and I think the AL is pretty straight up. Like, I think it's going to be pretty chalk from here. Um, Right now, uh, the Red Sox are in first place in the AL East with a 54 and 34 record. I think I think the Rays are going to pull it out. I don't know. I, I, I really like the Rays. It's kind of been Tampa's year. They're, they're winning everything. They won the Super Bowl with Tom Brady. Coming off a Stanley Cup victory. Uh, I think I think the Rays, uh, after their great year last year in the shortened season, they're just going to they're going to come out of the All-Star break. They're only down three games going in uh, to their last series before the All-Star break. So I think they're going to uh, fix that and get going. Um, the rest of the AL, I kind of just have going what it's looking like now. The White Sox are awesome. They're so much fun to watch. Um, they're in first place in the Central right now. I think they're going to be in first place in the Central when it's all said and done. The, the Indians could maybe make a run. Who knows? I, I think they're probably the main competition for the White Sox in the Central. But the White Sox are probably their own competition. Get out of their head. Uh, make sure they're not getting any controversies the rest of the season like they have in the past uh, parts of the season. Uh, and then in the West, I've got the Houston Astros. Uh, the Athletics were kind of looking like they were the team in the West for a while, but Houston's been on fire here lately. And they kind of took that uh, division by the neck, which is just kind of what they do. Um, they, they're, they're the team out West, and they have been for a while. My NL is wacky. Uh, I'll be admitted there. Um, right now in the NL East, the New York Mets hold a lead. They're 45 and 38. But the NL East is really weird because the, all those teams, like they've got talent, but they're, they're not really showing it. I, um, I have a hard time not falling in love with the Atlanta Braves because it's like they have too much talent not to just be the best team in that division. And I respect the Mets so much because they're awesome. I think the Braves are going to get it going. They'll probably make a move. It seems like they will. It seems like they're in this. We want to win right now with these young guys and Freddie Freeman. Um, I feel like they'll make a move and be able to come back. And I mean, they're only down three games in that division, be able to come back, win it. Um, and then the central decided to get wacky again. Um, I went with, uh, instead of the Milwaukee Brewers have, who have been awesome, uh, posted a 52 and 36 record to this point. I went with the Cincinnati Reds. Um, I think the Reds are in a mode where they could easily, like, in a couple of weeks, they could decide to sell and try to get rid of some of these guys that have had great seasons like Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker. Uh, but I don't think they will. I think they're going to keep it going. I think the Brewers might uh, 
might cool down. We'll, we'll see because, I mean, they're about to open up a four-game series against each other. That's the number one, two teams in the Central. Really wanted to put my Cardinals as the winners here. I just – I don't think it's going to happen. I think the Reds and Brewers are both better, and I, I think it's going to be one of them. I, it'll probably depend on which one of those teams makes a move and tries to get maybe a pitcher in Cincinnati or another bat in Milwaukee. And then the one that's a lot of fun is the NL West. And I think anybody here would be a good answer because they're all going to make the – well, three of them are going to make the playoffs, uh, in my opinion. Uh, right now, the San Francisco Giants are in first place with a 54-32 and 32 record. I went with the Slam Diego Padres because they are so much fun, and I find myself rooting for them while my Cardinals are struggling. Um, they're 51-38 and 38 right now in third place behind the Dodgers and Giants, which just isn't fair, but that's baseball. Um, I think I think they'll probably make a move, kind of like the Braves, where they're like, "Hey, we've got all this talent. Let's not waste it. Let's let's go get this little piece that's missing." There's not even really a piece piece missing, but who knows? We'll we'll see what happens. Uh, those are my predictions. How do you see these divisions races uh, panning out? Yeah, I've got a lot of the same with you. Um, for the AL East, the Yankees uh, have fallen off a cliff. They've made a two team race after you know, kind of being in that competitive spot with the Red Sox and the Rays. I also think the Rays will end up coming back, taking over the Red Sox uh, in that spot. But I think the Red Sox will probably take one of those wild card spots, end up being in the postseason regardless. So uh, a little bit less uh, stakes uh, going on in the AL East. With the AL Central, I mean, the White Sox have been the most the dominant team there. Uh, the Tigers have kind of picked up in the past few weeks, uh, but they're still a long ways away from being a, a competitive team in that division. Uh, the Twins were supposed to be maybe a Dark Horse World Series team to start the year, and now they're in last place in the division. So just shows you how weird baseball is to kind of get your get your finger on and really pin down. So I think the White Sox probably have it locked up there. Uh, out in the West, I do think the Astros will end up uh, running away with it, but you got to keep an eye on the Athletics. I just got an update as you were talking that they beat the Athletics beat the Astros today. So, uh, you know, they are one of those teams that uh, can get hot, and once they get hot, uh, if it's if they end up playing the Astros for for a couple of series, uh, that five and a half games is not a huge lead. Probably four and a half games now now that they've won. So. Uh, I definitely think that's probably going to be the tightest division uh, other than the Western division in the NL. Uh, the East, you make a great point. It's like a weird division. The Mets are the only team with a winning record, but it's still the most competitive with like four teams that could still win the division. Uh, the Nationals are in second place, even though they were trying to deal Scherzer at the beginning of the year. Uh, the Phillies and the Braves are tied, which doesn't really even seem to make sense because I feel like the Braves are so much more talented than the Phillies are. Um, I think if DeGrom keeps dominating the way he has, we'll get into DeGrom season in a little bit, but I think the Mets are the clear favorites uh, if he continues on that way. But pitchers are tough. You know, we never know if the, if the second half will mirror the first half the way it will. So it, it's tough to tell. I think the Mets have probably the most talent. You know, they've got Lindor. They've got guys like Dom Smith that can, that can really uh, hit the ball. But, you know, it's so up in the air. None of those teams have really – cemented themselves at all so that NL East is definitely up in the air uh in the central I think I, I think the Brewers will end up taking that down the down the stretch uh the Reds will probably be competitive in that in that division though because especially with the NL being the way it is with the NL West being so uh, so good and so talented then it's going to be down to the Reds basically winning the division or they're not going to make the playoffs so I think 
uh, there's a good chance. And I love that matchup with Castellanos and Jesse Winker against Christian Yelich of the Brewers. I think that's a, you know, an all-star type matchup uh, going on there. Uh, and then in the NL West, last but not least, uh, we uh, got the most competitive division in the MLB. Uh, the Dodgers and the Padres were obviously the teams to watch coming into the season, but all of a sudden the Giants are the best team in baseball now. Um, and the Dodgers are really up in the air. They're uh, probably the most, one of the most fun teams to watch. The Padres are probably the most fun team to watch in all of baseball right now, but uh, the Dodgers are really up in the air and we'll have to see if they get themselves right. Uh, my thought process is if they do get themselves right, I think they will end up taking the division at the end of the year. Uh, they're just too deep, just too dominant in terms of their pitching staff and their, and their hitters that I think that, uh, but it's tough. It's very tough to say whether they will be a hundred percent. There's a lot of things up in the air in LA right now. Uh, I love the Padres. I love watching Tatis Jr. Play and, my hope right now is somehow that the Giants actually hold on to that top spot and we get a Dodgers versus Padres uh, and a wild card game because I think that would be a ton of fun. Those two teams put on a show every time they're in the same uh, same ballpark. So I'm kind of rooting for that now, rooting for the Giants to hold on to where they're at. But we'll definitely see as we go forward. Uh, let's move on to some individual awards right now. Uh, we're going to get the Cy Young Rookie of the Year awards as well as our MVP for both leagues. So Dylan. Uh, how do you see these individual awards shaping up so far? Sorry, the Wi-Fi dropped. I don't know what happened. No, you're all good. Uh, we've got the individual awards coming up now. So uh, let me get your Cy Young takes, your Rookie of the Year takes, and your MVP takes for uh, halfway through the season. All righty. So for the NL MVP, I uh, – I was very conflicted because there's a guy I wanted to put and there was a guy I know I should put. And I went with the guy I know I should put. I put Fernando Tatis Jr. from the San Diego Padres. I, I think that the Padres are going to win uh, the West, like I said. And I think it's going to be off the back of and the bat of Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, he's almost a 300 hitter, close to 30 home runs already and 58 RBIs. I really wanted to put Nick Castellanos because I really like this Reds team for some reason. I really don't know why, but they're really fun. I've got to cover them a lot. Uh, and Castellanos is just electric, and he's a lot of fun to watch. He can't stop hitting big home runs and big moments, and it's awesome to watch. And I think if the Reds can make a run, it'll be uh, – Castellanos will be a big reason for it, him and Jesse Winker. Uh, for the AL MVP, I went with Shohei Otani. Uh, and – I, I just think it's hard not to go with Otani. Uh, he uh, Dylan, I think I lost you again. We got no we got no audio. Uh oh. All right. Well, give me a second here, guys. I will get into some of my individual stuff. Unless we got Dylan back here. Hello? Dylan, here. We got you. All right. Yeah, I see you. Can you hear me? All right. Well, I will give you guys some of my individual stuff now while we wait for Dylan and his uh, technical issues to get straightened out. Hopefully they will. Um for me, my Cy Young Awards in the NL are pretty similar. My 
MVP award is pretty similar uh, thought process. I love Shohei Otani. Uh, I think he's the story of baseball right now. Um, <laughs> I love Shohei Otani. I think he's the story of baseball. Um, in terms of the NL MVP, uh, I I was a part of the Tigers fan base when Justin Verlander won the MVP in 2011 as a pitcher. Um I loved it when Clayton Kershaw won his MVP in 2014. And I think if DeGrom stays on his path right now, I think he's going to be the third guy in our lifetime to win both the Cy Young and in the MVP. Uh, it's just tough when he, you know, to compare him to some guys like Fernando Tatis, who's been hitting the hell out of the ball. But I mean, DeGrom's hitting 346 this year. And so for a pitcher, that's something that is unheard of in terms of, you know, he's not Shohei Otani hitting the ball but he at least is providing for himself when he's out there. And then you've got to, you put on the fact that he had a sub one ERA for most of the season, uh, just went, went over one in his last start, but a seven and two record, uh, just dominating stuff. Uh, I think he's been the most dominant player in the NL. And I like when pitchers get their dues uh, when they, when they, when they deserve it. So, and I think DeGrom at least through one half of the season has deserved it. Uh, we'll see, you know, like I said earlier, it's tough because pitchers can can drop off really quickly and, and have, a, you know, one or two bad starts and all of a sudden their season doesn't look as good as it did before. So uh, now that we've got Dylan back, let's uh, <laughs> wrap up his uh, his individual awards. All right. Uh, so I'm glad you brought up Jacob DeGrom because I did not mention him as one of my two like NL MVP guys. And that's because I wanted to spread the love. That's because. He's taking home the NL Cy Young. I, there's, there's just everything you just said about Jacob Degrom. He's the best pitcher in baseball right now. His numbers are absurd. He's seven and two in fifteen starts, a one point oh eight ERA. I mean, he's putting up MLB the show numbers. And that's just, I mean, like Shohei Otani's a video game character. Jacob Degrom's playing on rookie difficulty. Like, I, it's crazy. I, the guy is just insane. I, we've never really seen anyone like him, which is cool to say that we have two guys that we've really never seen anything like this in our lifetime. He's just so good. And um, for the AL Cy Young, I've got Lance Lynn with the Chicago White Sox, which I absolutely love. I was sitting there. I was like, I don't know who the AL Cy Young is. Like I was, I was really struggling with it. Um, I like started like looking around the internet. I was like, who are, who are people saying? Like, I, I want to get, I want to get some takes. And I kept seeing Garrett Cole and I was like, no, he struggled after the, after all the um, substance, uh, stuff happened and then I was looking looking at stats I was like Lance Lynn has had a season and a half and he's the ace for the best team in the AL Central I mean he's nine and three and 16 starts a sub two ERA he's pitched 90 and two-third innings he's only allowed 24 runs that's absurd um add on the fact that he's a former Cardinal and I mean you're getting Dylan Holt AL Cy Young that there's no questions asked he brought a World Series to St. Louis he's uh, he's, he already has several Cy Youngs in my mind. Uh, moving on to the Rookie of the Year. Uh, this one was fun. The NL Rookie of the Year specifically was fun. Um, I think Rodgers from Miami has had a really good season, but I think that's kind of a boring pick in my head. I don't know why. I think he's really good. But I, I decided to go with Jonathan India from Cincinnati. Uh, he, he's a third bat in that offense with Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker. And he's really he's made a really big impact. Uh, yesterday, I got to cover the Reds Royals game, and he just makes big plays. Uh, he doesn't play like a rookie at all. He's he's batting two seventy five with six home runs, uh, thirty five RBIs, seven stolen bases. I mean, he doesn't have the 
flashiest numbers in the world. But I think as the season goes on and if things go the way I think they will and the Reds just continue to play bigger and bigger games, he's going to be put in bigger and bigger spots with those big bats in Cincinnati. And I think he's going to deliver because that's he did it yesterday when Castellanos got to rest. And if India wasn't there, the Reds maybe don't win. Uh, so I think I think he's someone that's just going to climb up uh, a lot of people's list with Rookie of the Year, and he's going to take mine home, I think. Uh, and then AL Rookie of the Year, a guy that I've praised a lot and uh, in uh, past weeks. I even put him in my All-Star team, and he is an All-Star. Adolis Garcia from the Texas Rangers, uh, former Cardinal, unfortunately, uh, but he's thriving in Texas. I don't know that he would be in St. Louis because not many bats are flourishing in St. Louis unless they're wearing an opposing jersey. Um, he's batting 273 with 21 home runs, 59 RBIs, and eight stolen bases. I think he's probably going to run away with AL Rookie of the Year. Uh, he's having an absurd season for a rookie. Um, so there's my uh, Cy Youngs and Rookie of the Years. I'm, I'm interested to hear yours. Yeah, for Cy Young, uh, I already said for the NL, I've, I've got DeGrom as well as my MVP. I think easy choice in terms of the NL Cy Young. Uh, even if he doesn't get the MVP, he's def- almost got the Cy Young locked up regardless of what he does. Uh, in the AL, things are definitely a bit more foggy. Uh, Garrett Cole started off the year brilliantly. He's still the Vegas odds favorite to to win the Cy Young. Uh, but like you said, that foreign substances rule went into place and the, the whole storyline around his season changed. And it even if he ends up having a dominant rest of the season, he hasn't since the rule has gone into effect. But even if he does, it's going to be tough to like change people's minds on, you know, that's kind of what Garrett Cole's season has been. The the foreign substance rule went into place and, and it kind of got surrounded around him fairly or unfairly. Uh, so it kind of has opened the, uh, the race up a bit. Fortunately enough for Cole though, uh, both of his top competitors in the race were basically went out of it. Bieber and Glass now both got hurt, basically, and they were the the. It was a th- trio of guys that were competing for the Cy Young in the AL. Two of those guys get hurt, so I think Cole's probably uh, running away with it at this point. I like Lance Lynn. Uh, his biggest problem is he's got another great pitcher in Carlos Rendon right behind him. So uh, it's tough to win the Cy Young when you've got two two aces. I think Lance Lynn's probably the best of the two, but. You know, Rendon's got that no-hitter on his uh, resume. It's going to be tough to parse between those two because, you know, the White Sox starting rotation just in general has been a big part of what they've, what they've done this year. Uh, for Rookie of the Year, you mentioned NL pitcher Marlon – or NL Marlins pitcher Trevor Rogers. Uh, he probably would be a, a good Cy Young candidate if it weren't for what DeGrom has been doing. Uh, just a dominant pitcher in Miami, uh, something that they need for sure. Uh, knowing how Miami rolls, I'm sure he'll be on another squad in the next couple of years, but uh, definitely uh, hasn't allowed more than three runs in any of his first 16 starts. I mean, that's something not many pitchers period can say uh, much less a rookie. So I think, you know, again, like I said, pitchers can collapse pretty quickly in the second half. So we'll have to keep a, keep an eye on that. But I think that's uh, right now the AL or the NL rookie of the year. And then in the AL, uh, I'm going to show my bias again. I wanted to give it to Akil Badu, uh, but I'm actually going to give some credit to Casey Mize, uh, former number one overall pick, uh, tough debut in 2020, but he has had a bounce back year in 2021, uh, four and three in his last seven starts, 3.06 ERA. Uh, and it's just, you can see in his arm, maybe his stats don't say it as much, but you can see in his arm when he takes the mound, he's got the presence of a future ace. And I, 
I really like that. I, it took it took a lot for me to come around to Casey Mize because it took him so long to get to the major leagues after we drafted him at Auburn. But uh, I'm very happy to see how he's come around. I, I and I think he's going to have an even so- hotter second half, and that's why he's going to take over that rookie of the year. I think it's going to be uh, Mize getting a win basically every time he's on the mound in the second half for the Tigers. Uh, which is exciting. Uh, the Tigers are really young. Uh, and that's the one thing I can say about the, the one Detroit team that's playing right now. So the Tigers are young and they're, and they're starting to show the talent of their youth uh, now. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that, but I like all that stuff. Uh, interested to see how things move forward as we move towards the midsummer classic next week. Uh, we will move on again as Dylan came up with another fun topic this week. You might've heard, uh, coming up, uh, you might have heard last week or read somewhere last week uh, about former President Obama. He was on a podcast talking about what I have the name of the podcast written down here. Uh, the armchair it was the armchair expert podcast. Uh, he was talking about his 49th birthday, which he had when he was still in office uh, and basically said he got to have his own secret all-star game at the White House. Uh, guys like LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Derrick Rose, uh, just some of the names in attendance for sort of a professional amateur game. And that got us thinking about what teams, what guys we would select for our own professional amateur game if we were invited to a tournament, something like this. And we thought we would make it a topic. So we will have a, our own little draft where we're going to pick a celebrity to join us as well as three NBA players to go into a tournament, uh, a professional amateur tournament uh, with us. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to see, and I'm excited to see what Dylan's got. So with the, we're going to start off with our celebrities, and we'll go back and forth uh, picking people. So, Dylan, let me hear your first pick, who you got uh, joining you as a celebrity on your pro-am team. I just want to say I'm super excited for this. I saw this. Uh, I can't remember Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever. And I was like, we've got to talk about this on the Dylan and Dylan show. This is way too much fun, has way too much potential. Um, with my first pick, my celebrity, I took a lot of time thinking about this. Uh, I went through names like Adam Sandler, Quavo, J. Cole. I disqualified J. Cole for me because uh, I was like, he's a pro that uh, he, he's playing pro basketball. Let's not do that. Uh, looked at guys like Mahershala Ali, who played basketball at uh, St. Mary's. And a guy like Denzel Washington or even like Jackie Moon, Will Ferrell. Uh, but I settled on uh, Jason Siegel out of uh, Harvard Westlake High School in L.A. Uh, was a teammate of Jason Collins in high school. Um, it's the same high school that uh, MLB pitchers Jack Flaherty, Lucas Gallardo, and Mike, Max Fried went to. Uh, in high school, he was known as Dr. Dunk. And I was like, I want that guy on my team. He's also 6'4", and he's very funny. So I think he'll be good for uh, team chemistry. Who's your first pick? Yeah, I bounced around names like Jay Cole and Two Chains because they're both former college basketball players. Jay Cole, professional in in Africa this year. So, and I, I, again, I thought that was a little bit too on the nose. Uh, I went with someone I have a little bit of scouting on, though, a little bit of tape on. Uh, I went with John Krasinski from The Office. And if you remember the basketball scene and the basketball episode of The Office, John Krasinski can ball straight up ball, and it doesn't it doesn't even look like. Uh, they really coached him on to do anything. It literally just looks like they gave him a basketball and he looked like the most athletic guy out there. Uh, tall dude as well can handle the basketball for sure. Uh, I'm going to take John Krasinski on my team. I think he'll be a solid uh, one, two punch for the amateurs on our, on our side. Uh, so now we'll get into our NBA players. Uh, Dylan, who are, uh, give me your first pick for the NBA. 
So my first NBA player, uh, point guard from Murray State, playing for the Memphis Grizzlies, number 12, John Morant. Had to pick my guy from Murray State. Uh, it was a shooting pick for me. I know there's guys that are probably better, but uh, got to go with Ja. That's my first pick. Him and him and Jason Segal, that that's a duo. And the, the other picks will appreciate the, the nice point guard play. Who's your first NBA player pick? I, th- I kind of thought you would go that way. Um, I... I, I I don't have a, a connection like that with any of my guys. Uh, there's some few, a few Michigan guys in there, but no real Central Michigan guys in the NBA. So I'm gonna go with the safe pick. I'll take LeBron on my team. Uh, get me Krasinski and LeBron as a as a first three, and I, I'll feel comfortable going on with that. All right, on to pick number two. Who you got? I LeBron was my my second name, but I figured he'd be gone with the second with the third pick. Now I, I figured that would happen. Uh, so I'm going to go with the guy right behind LeBron. We're going to go with number uh, seven now for the Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant. Uh, don't think you can go wrong with KD, the slim reefer. Uh, I don't care what he did in Golden State. He can be on my team any day of the week. And him, John, Jason Segal, that that's already a nasty big three. And KD knows all about big threes. <laughs> that's a great pick. Yep, KD was definitely second on my list. I kind of assumed you were going to go with LeBron, so I was ready to take KD, but, you know, really can't go wrong with either of those two there. Uh, if I'm going to match your point guard play, though, I'm going to need to take a point guard of my own. Uh, I can't really decide between the two. I think Steph Curry is the better player, but I think Kyrie is probably my favorite point guard of all time. Uh, I, I think just the way he gets to the rim, uh, the things that he can do with the basketball, I'm going to take Kyrie on my team. I'll take the other Brooklyn net off your off your squad. Uh, and we'll go with Kyrie at point guards for for us. All right, wrap it up. You've got one more pick to go. Let's. How are you riding out your starting five? So I, I was getting my starting five or my team together, my picks, and I was like, Ja, LeBron, hopefully, but t- that turned into Kevin Durant. Oh no, what am I gonna do? Um, the third pick, I I was pretty comfortable, and I, I'm pretty comfortable. You didn't have this guy on your list. I think I think he's a guy that maybe people aren't thinking about because he's been hurt. I'm going to go with number 11 out of Washington State, been a staple for the Golden State Warriors for many years, former teammate of Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson. Uh, I think he adds nice shooting where Josh ja, ja struggles a little bit shooting sometimes, get that where he does not miss. And plus he has the chemistry of Kevin Durant. Uh, I think that's just a no-brainer. And uh, Clay's really, really cool. If, if you don't know, Clay's an awesome guy. So I'd really like to uh, play ball with Clay and have him on my team. Yeah, I mean, I definitely thought about Clay. Uh, thing is, is I, I did take my game into account, and that was my only game. My my high school basketball coach called me Nick Stauskas because I would sit on the I would sit on the three point line and I would shoot threes, and that was my game. So I'm not not that I don't think Clay would do a great job, but if I'm going to do anything for my team, I can't have someone else to uh, taking that role from me. So <laughs> uh, when I was rounding out my starting five, I was like, okay, I've got I've got a point guard, I've got Kyrie, I've got LeBron. Uh, what I need is a big man that's going to uh, help us down in the paint, uh, kind of cancel out any other big men that come out there. Uh, it's really a toss up at this point, but I'm going to go with Anthony Davis. I think it's with the the combo with him and LeBron. He gives you a little bit of versatility where he can play more of a four role or a five. Uh, he's probably the most versatile big man that we've seen in a long time. So uh, I think that you give me Kyrie, AD and LeBron, match them up with me and John Frasinski. I think we're going to be able to compete. I, I think I really like my team, but I think I like your team as well. 
Yeah, I, I think this is a lot of fun. Uh, and I think uh, with the with the big man pick, you definitely have an advantage uh, because I guess I can put Kevin Durant on AD, uh, but that I don't see that going great because uh, AD is a lot bigger than KD. Uh, so maybe we move Dr. Dunk himself, Jason Seagal over there, put him on Anthony Davis. I don't know. I think Anthony Davis is the wild card. Uh, but yeah, I like both teams. I, I think I think this is a lot of fun. Um, it's a very, very fun scenario that, uh, former president Obama put into our heads. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we would love for any of you listeners who are listening in to get way in, maybe give us your starting, starting five, uh, or weigh in and see which, uh, which team you like Dylan Holtz or Dylan Jesperson's, which team you, uh, like, we'll try to get some, uh, social media posts out there so you can give our, give your opinion on that. All right, that's uh, that'll do it for our main topics. We'll move on to a quick this week in sports. Uh, the NBA Finals kicked off this week on Tuesday with the Suns taking a 1-0 lead over the Bucks. CP3 showed out in Game One. Game Two coming out tonight. Uh, Dylan, what are your early thoughts on how the NBA Finals are are playing out so far? Uh, it's really refreshing, and we've talked about this. Um, but just the Bucks and Suns, like I, I remember turning it on on Tuesday night, and I was like, this it almost doesn't feel like the finals because we're so used to seeing like LeBron or the Warriors or whoever it might be. It just seems like the same faces all the time. And we've got Chris Paul against Giannis. And it's like, all right, this this ain't too bad. We we we've got some got some new things going on. Uh and it's it was a lot of fun game one. Uh my my the biggest thing in my head watching that game was I'm scared that Giannis isn't a hundred percent and I really don't want that to come back and bite him in the butt or the bucks in the butt. Cause that, that's just, no one wants to see that. They want to see a healthy Giannis and a healthy bucks team uh, make it through this finals, whatever way it goes. And I would love to see it go game seven, give us all the free basketball in the world and let us just have fun. Um, and then the other big takeaway uh, takeaways were obviously Chris Paul had an amazing game. His first finals game of his career uh, and just showed out uh, like many probably thought he would. And then uh, Dario Saric going down. Uh, some people might not think that's the biggest deal in the world, but the the Suns, their rotation is definitely going to be shaken up. The, we saw him use I think we're losing Dylan again. Yep, a little bit of technical issues again. Sorry, everyone. But uh, I'm in the, in the same spot with Dylan. Uh, me and Dylan are in the uh, complete agreement in terms of the Yana stuff. Welcome back, Dylan. <laughs> hey, I'm back. Um, sorry. You finish up. Uh, I was talking about Sarge and how he went down. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how the Suns uh, will adjust, uh, whether what Monty Williams will do. He's such a great coach. Um, whether he'll decide to play Kaminsky more, which we, I mean, we know what he can do. He hasn't done it on the NBA level like he did in college, but he is, he's a good player. He's been in big games before. It's been a little while, but he's been in big games before. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do, whether they go small ball or just decide to play eight and more and get Kaminsky in there when they can. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm excited for game two, see what happens. Hopefully Giannis is, uh, knee is fine and uh, hopefully we get a good game. Yeah. Uh, like I was saying, I'm in agreement with you. I, I really hope that Giannis is, is at 100%. It doesn't seem like he's at 100% yet, uh, but he still made some great plays. Uh, he still showed why he's the Greek freak, that that chase down block that he made, that dunk he had on Aiton. Uh, even not at 100%, he seems to at least provide some entertainment. Uh, I think a big 
big factor in the rest of the series is going to be Drew Holiday and whether he steps up. Uh, the Bucks paid a lot of money for him, so he needs to be able to at least slow CP3 down a bit uh, and provide at the offensive end. Uh, it can't be all Chris Middleton. It can't be all Giannis. Drew Holiday has to be uh, an X factor in this series. And whether that's just slowing CP3 down for, for a game or two, uh, that might be enough. But he's going he's gonna to be key moving forward. Uh, but I'm excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to the series. Like you said, new faces. Jay Crowder is the only NBA player in the, in the finals that's ever been to an NBA finals. So uh, that's just exciting in its own right. Uh, I think we're all just uh, refreshed, happy to see some new basketball, a new, maybe a new rivalry brewing up uh, with between Giannis uh, and the Bucks and Devin Booker and CP3 and the Suns. Uh, also looking forward to the NBA, t- NBA roundtable talk with the t- TV sports team after game two, make sure you guys Keep your eyes posted to to the Tunnel Vision Sports social media channels for that coming up. Finally, we're going to look forward to some UFC action. UFC 264 is coming up on Saturday night. We thought we would preview the main event. Even as someone who is kind of on the outside looking in on combat sports, even I keep my eyes out when Conor McGregor is on the fight card. Uh, Him and Dustin Poirier are going to go at it for the third time. win for either of them is likely going to give them a chance to compete for the lightweight title later in the year. Uh, Dylan, what are your thoughts on McGregor and Poirier and UFC 264 coming up? I I think 264 is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, McGregor Poirier three is a legit main event that uh, we don't see very often in UFC um, because UFC is just, it's so kind of polarizing where kind of guys come up and down the ranking so quick. That's like, Whoa, who is this guy fighting Connor? Or who's this guy fight, fighting Israel Adesanya? They just kind of come out of nowhere sometimes. So it's nice to see it's, it's names. People know, uh, these guys fought six months ago. Poirier came in with the win. Um, the first time these guys fought years ago, uh, Connor got the win. That's kind of when Connor was coming up and becoming one of the biggest athletes in the world. Um, Connor, his last few fights has not been like Connor around the fights where it's, it's kind of been since that Khabib fight with all the all the commotion that happened and kind of calmed down a bit. Uh, this week, Connor has been a menace on social media and in interviews, and it really seems like Connor's getting kind of back into his uh, into his groove, I guess, doing things Connor McGregor does. So I think that'll be interesting to watch because I mean, in his last three fights, he's one and two, which for the way we're talking about this fight, you'd think Conor McGregor would be the lightweight, light heavyweight champion, but he's, he hasn't been that great. Uh, he's, he's been getting beat. And uh, I think maybe if with Conor getting kind of that pep in his step and uh, he'll be fired up, he'll have a full crowd in Las Vegas and they will be fired up to see him. They'll be fired up to see Poirier too. Cause they, he's, he's developed a very nice fan base uh, in this war with McGregor. Um, I think it's going to be a lot, a lot of fun to see uh, that main event. But the card's a lot of fun, too. I mean, we get to see former NFL All-Pro Greg Hardy fight. Who he That could be a whole show by itself, talking about Greg Hardy. He's he's a character. Uh, he'll, he'll fight two fights before the main event. And you never know what's going to happen with Greg Hardy. And then uh, getting to see a guy like Sean O'Malley with the first five of the night, he is just electric. And you, just like Greg Hardy, you never know what Sean O'Malley's going to do. So uh, I think it's going to be a fun night of fighting and combat sports on Saturday night and tapped off with McGregor Poirier. Can't ask for much more. Yeah. Uh, I think with the way that Connor's been acting lately, it, it's kind of does seem he's getting his groove back. You know, the last two fights, it's almost been like 
I don't want to say expected, but when you when you saw Connor's kind of laid back approach to the fights, you kind of assumed that maybe he's not on his game. He knows that he's not as prepared as he should be. Uh, so that makes it even more exciting when he you he's on his groove and he's actually getting into it. And that means he's confident. He thinks he's going to win, and nothing's going to top that that Khabib and and Connor matchup that they had. You know the emotions and just the the pure theatrics of it all. Uh, but, you know, Poirier and McGregor is close. You know, they definitely don't like each other. Uh, it's definitely two fighters that are pretty evenly matched. You know, Connor beat him up the first time, but uh, definitely not in the same spot he was when he did that. So uh, I'm excited to see that. Uh, I'm definitely going to keep my eye on that. But uh, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, I had an awesome time this week. Thank you, Dylan, for another awesome show. Thank you again to Trey for stopping by and talking with us. We had a wonderful conversation. It was a pleasure meeting you. A uh, quick reminder to follow Tunnel Vision Sports on all of our social media channels. A uh, quick reminder to follow us on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to Tunnel Vision Sports. You'll never miss a podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at underscore TV Sports on Facebook and LinkedIn at Tunnel Vision Sports, and on the web at www.tvsportsmag.com. All right, that will do it for today. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Dylan, again for another great week. Thank you for the listeners who have made it through to this point, and we will see you all next week. Have a great weekend, and we will see you next week.